this Dobby dude's a real hoot. Get it? I'm starting off with a dad joke, because this is a pretty heavy chapter. We have a house elf enslavement introduction. We have child abuse. Then we get slightly less heavy with owl tampering and wizarding mail fraud before we finally get some levity with a fear of birds and falling dessert. Welcome to Belated Binge, the Harry Potter podcast that doesn't take itself or the books too seriously. I'm Zach, and I didn't read this series until I was a grown man. And today, I'm excited to go all Lumos Maxima on Dobby the House Elf as I dive into Chapter 2 of Chamber of Secrets, Dobby's Warning. Harry managed not to shout out, but it was a close thing. The little creature on the bed had large, bat-like ears and bulging green eyes the size of tennis balls. Harry knew instantly that this was what had been watching him out of the garden hedge that morning. The Belated Binge Podcast. Hi, and welcome to the Belated Binge Podcast. I'm Zach, your host, revisiting some of the most iconic series in recent memory that I was incredibly late on, like our current binge of Harry Potter, where despite being the same age as movie Harry, I didn't read this series through until my mid-twenties. That's the belated part. Now we're going back a chapter or two at a time, picking it apart, deep diving what's on the page, speculating about what isn't, particularly Dumbledore's role and his master plan. What did he know? When did he know it? and the motivations guiding the story. And, of course, infusing as much sarcasm as I possibly can. That's the binge part. Together, they make the belated binge, and today we continue our reread of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets with Chapter 2, Dobby's Warning. Before we get into it, this podcast will have spoilers. If you haven't read these by now, you're even later than I was. This podcast could also have adult language. Scratch that. It will have adult language. You can buy these in the kids' section at the bookstore, but I didn't read them until I was a grown-ass man. In case you were obliviated or you got your Hogwarts letter late, last episode, nothing happened. That's not an exaggeration. It was a chapter full of reminding us what happened in the first book and reminding us how shitty the Dursleys are as people and how bad Harry's life is away from Hogwarts It's called the worst birthday, and he was supposed to spend it in his room pretending not to exist while the Dursleys kissed the ass of some couple that was coming for dinner because Vernon thought it'd be the biggest drill sale of his career. They abused Harry verbally, emotionally, and if Petunia's aim didn't suck as bad as her personality, they would have abused him physically. Before we can move on from that just wonderful sounding chapter to get into this week's we need to close the book on what happened in our last episode and recap our Expecto Plot Changeo. This is the part of the show where we theorize on what we would expect to change in our story if we had made one small change to the plot of the chapter that we're covering. In chapter one of Chamber of Secrets, The Worst Birthday, I asked, What if Petunia Dursley had better aim with that soapy frying pan. So what if the soapy frying pan actually connected? What if the Dursleys... I mean, what would they even do if that would have happened? Would they take him to the hospital if necessary? Would they just leave him lay on the ground, knocked out in the garden? Would something else happen entirely? What do you think? Amy responded on Facebook, 
So for me, this one is layered. One, I don't think she would have made contact. Since Harry is magical and can do some magic with his mind, I think that would have prevented it from making contact. Two, I don't know if she actually meant to hit him, or just sort of threw it as a warning, to be honest. And three, if I'm wrong on the first two, and it did happen to make contact, I don't think they would do anything. He'd probably lay there until he came to, or was helped by Mrs. Fig. All fair points. So from my perspective, I don't think the Dursleys would have even taken Harry to the hospital, even if he needed it. Especially if it was because Petunia KO'd him with a frying pan. But in the last chapter, I don't think it would have gotten that far. At that moment of the story, we know that Dobby was hiding in the bushes. I think he would have probably, like, magically stopped the pan from smashing Harry's skull. Perhaps her aim was actually good, and that's exactly what he did. If Dobby can defend Harry from a potential killing curse from an overdramatic Lucius Malfoy movie scene, that's not how it actually happens in the book, by the way. I'm being facetious. But if he can do that, he can stop a frying pan. But I suppose, if that was the case, the letter about the underage magic would have come even sooner. Either way, Harry manages to escape the chapter without a concussion. And I think that that would have been the case, regardless of Petunia's aim. So, that, thankfully, wraps up our chat from last episode's chapter, The Worst Birthday, also known as The Worst Chapter, literally, probably, in this entire series. Maybe. You know... I'm not really sure. Anyways, let's get into uh, this week's Expecto Placenjo question. As I get my phone out, flip it around selfie style for the social medias, and here we go. This week's Expecto Placenjo question from Chapter 2 of Chamber of Secrets, Dobby's warning is, What if Harry just lied to Dobby and said he wouldn't go back to Hogwarts? Would the elf have left him alone? Would Harry have gotten a letter about underage magic at all? Would Dobby have kept tabs and still taken his future actions? Would worse have happened? Would Vernon have made the sale and somehow, I don't know, became rich? What do you think? Let me know your thoughts, and they'll be included in the next episode. There it is. This little video I just made will be posted on social media across Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. You can respond with your thoughts on any of those platforms or as a voicemail on my website, belatedbinge.com. And if you want to use the website but you don't like the sound of your own voice, we also have a contact form available. And by we, I mean me. Now, let's dive into the events of this week's chapter with... Priori, Incan Chapter. We've reached the point where our wands connect, not the tips, just the streams. So we can recap what went down in the chapter that we just read. This week, Dobby's warning starts with paying off the cliffhanger from the first chapter where Harry was going to go lay in bed and pretend he didn't exist, but there was somebody already in it. And Harry immediately knows that whatever was in the bushes staring at him 
right before he had to dodge the flying kitchenware. Fun fact, I had to look up kitchenware. And by look it up, I mean Google it. To make sure that I wasn't just making up a word. Uh, According to the almighty Google, it is a noun that means kitchen utensils, cookware, and other items used to prepare or cook food. Or throw at your nephew that you hate. Knowledge is power, people. Anyway, this weird little thing introduces itself as Dobby and starts stroking Harry's ego a lot with lots and lots of pleasantries. And Harry's got no idea what to do in this particular situation. He spends a lot of time in these books having no idea what's going on. But how many other scenarios is he more dumbfounded than walking into his bedroom at Privet Drive with the Dursleys and finding a house elf in his bed before he even knows what a house elf is? There can't be many. This has got to be top five, top ten, top yeah, seven, I don't know how, that's a magic number, I don't know, anyways, he's, in his mind, he's stupid and doesn't know what to do, maybe in yours too, I don't know, of course, he learns that this thing's name is Dobby, and it is, in fact, a house elf, and the awkward conversation ensues, we're not gonna go line by line, but the highlights are basically as follows. Harry is trying to be polite the entire time, but also figure out what the hell Dobby's doing there and why the hell Dobby is on this night. This night of all nights. Why? Why in the world are you here, Dobby? Uh, Dobby keeps freaking out and losing his shit every five seconds, wailing or beating himself in the head with something or against the wall or the wind. Just, it's not great. Not great. A lot of self-harm happening uh, for that little elf. Harry tries to keep him quiet and not get himself beaten in the head by the Dursleys. Dobby gives us a little bit of an explanation of what the house elf's role is in the wizarding world, which is slavery. Nothing too heavy for children's books. The whole thing's leading to Dobby trying to keep Harry from going back to Hogwarts this year because there's a plot to make terrible things happen at Hogwarts. Okay, so we're going to stop there. For starters, Dobby says some really interesting stuff here. One, he says that Voldemort's not behind this plot, but he is. So, without going full-on spoiler for the whole plot of the book uh, already in Chapter 2, granted, this is a spoiler-full podcast, but what's the point in talking about the entire book right now we have lots of chapters to get through is Dobby aware that this is ultimately a Voldemort plan does he perhaps think that it's just a Lucius Malfoy you know cooked up scheme by himself in his own evil brilliance please let the idea of Lucius being a genius or brilliant at anything Just let it marinate. No. No, Lucius still sucks. Does he know the details of the plan, or did he just overhear that Lucius was going to put a plan in place to get rid of the Muggleborns? And, like, what would that motivation have been? Just blatant racism? Was it all about trying to get Dumbledore ousted from Hogwarts? Both? Um, My last question, uh, and this is a fairly important one, is... What the hell does this have to do with Harry Potter? 
I'm trying to figure out the math between plan that Lucius had and why Dobby thought it absolutely imperative that he keep Harry Potter out of Hogwarts. If you have an answer to that, please, please let me know. Because I honestly, I don't get it. But regardless of my lack of understanding of the why, the how he was going to keep Harry away was apparently by intercepting every owl that was bringing Harry a letter, because if Harry thought he had no friends at school, he would just drop out of school, maybe take the wizarding equivalent of a GED test, uh, maybe take that hacky magic course that we learn about from Filch coming up later in the book. I don't know, that seems logical. Another question, so apparently that wasn't my last one. Dobby is an enslaved house elf who's defying his masters by coming to see Harry Potter in this particular chapter. He's had to sneak away from Malfoy Manor undetected in order to do this, and he'll undoubtedly have to punish himself for it. And as problematic as all of that in that entire concept is, which is definitely an, another episode in and of itself, right now, I want to know how often he's doing this. If he has to intercept every owl, is he there every day? Otherwise, how does he know when Harry's getting an owl? Yeah, here we go. Sure. Magic. Sure. But then if he's gone every day monitoring for Harry's incoming owls, how have the Malfoys not noticed he's missing all the time? I'm clearly overthinking this. We can just say the answer's obviously plot and move on, but... I don't know. It To me, two and two doesn't equal fish in this particular instance. But he's, at this point, we're, we're back in the chapter, and now he's playing keep away with Harry's letters, and since Harry's incapable of simply lying and saying he won't go to school, we're going to go running down the hall and all hell's about to break loose. Dobby magics the fancy pudding in the kitchen onto the floor, and the Dursleys freak out calling Harry their disturbed nephew and this doesn't exactly kill the deal with the Masons but then here comes an owl and apparently Mrs. Mason the wife of the bigwig that Vernon's trying to kiss up to is deathly afraid of birds and they think the Dursleys came up with the owl to just have a good old laugh again why the hell would that be what Mr. Mason thought Whatever. Now, for some reason, Vernon, who won't let Hedwig leave her cage to ensure Harry never got a letter, forces Harry to read his letter. That seems highly out of character, but for once in this clusterfuck of a chapter, I think I know why this time. This has got to be coming from the Letters from No One chapter in the first book, when Vernon tried to not read the letter that Harry got and tried to keep the letters from Harry, and it literally took over his entire life and home, drove him batshit crazy, and led to his son getting a pigtail. So he's afraid of all that happening again, right? So he just wants Harry to read the letter so that he can promptly murder him when he's finished. Eat your heart out, Voldemort. This is how it's done. Anyways, the letter gives a warning about using magic outside of school. Vernon turns into an absolute lunatic, locking his nephew in his room with bars on the windows and a cat flap to feed him through. 
letting him shit twice a day. He's in solitary suburban confinement, muggle style, which is definitely the name of the first single on this book's Wizard Rock album, which is something I should probably write and start producing because we're, we're stacking up on, on the names and ideas. We're incredibly low on the actual song output at this point, but keep me honest. Uh, this will happen at some point, maybe sort of possibly if you like literally make sure that I do it, I might actually do it. Anyways, even though he's eating cold canned soup, he still cares enough to save a little bit in the bottom of the bowl for Hedwig. Everybody say, aww, at the same time. Harry has the best character. Is he the best character? Maybe not. Highly underrated in this fandom, in my opinion, but he's not the best character. But the character he does possess is damn near flawless. Get that distinction right. Follow me down the yellow brick road here. He falls asleep. He has a weird dream about Dobby banging on the bars of his window like he's a snake at the zoo. Yeah, call back. Uh, And stirs awake to see Ron Weasley staring back at him through the bars. And that wraps up a short, brief, and absolutely bonkers mess of a chapter, bringing us to... This episode is brought to you by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcasts on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Explainiarmus. It's time to disarm your reluctancy and explain how you can support this podcast. Belated Binge is a fully independent production. I read the books, write the script, record the episode, edit the recording, pick and produce the sounds, manage the content schedule, manage social media, promote the podcast, and feed producer Jack. Any costs from equipment to software to website development, marketing, any of that comes out of my pocket. And despite how many times I've been told we look alike, I'm no Harry Potter. No half giant has ever taken me to a bank full of cash and said, hey, you're rich. Having a podcast takes a lot and it's not easy. So your support is literally the only thing that keeps the show going. And there are a few key ways you can support the podcast. First, word of mouth is absolutely huge. If you enjoy the show, please tell every one of your Potterhead friends to give it a shot. Also, many of the pod players now support a rating and review function. Apple, Spotify, Good Pods, Podchaser, just to name a few. And it takes about four seconds to leave a five-star rating on the app. This can be greatly impactful. If you have more than four seconds and the app that you're using supports written reviews, that's even better. Think about how reliant we are on reviews. Whether you're buying something new or deciding what book to read next, we're always looking at ratings and reviews to weigh into our decision. Podcasts are no different, and your positive review could be the difference in someone discovering the show and deciding to give it a chance. 
Another great way to support the show is engaging in the conversation yourself, whether it be answering the specific questions I pose during the show or on social media. Maybe you just have a theory of your own or you want to leave some feedback. I'd love to hear from you and maybe even share it on the podcast. You can submit your thoughts by leaving a voicemail on the website, belatedbinge.com. Just click the little leave a voicemail icon on the page that you visit. If you don't like the sound of your own voice, you can also respond in written form by using the contact form on the website, leaving comments or DMs on social media. My handle is belatedbinge across Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. And you can also email belatedbinge at gmail.com. The final and perhaps most impactful form of support is to become a patron on Patreon. I've made a ton of updates to Patreon membership benefits this season and some goals to shoot for as well. There are currently six tiers available designed to fit any budget level ranging from $1 to $20 with all the bells and whistles. So benefits range from early access to ad-free versions of the show, recognition on the website, bonus episodes, patron shoutouts, show prep notes, insider participation, binge award participation, input on show content and future benefits, a drawing for a physical gift sent from me to you and others. I've also set some growth goals that will unlock new benefits for existing tiers and maybe even adding some more stuff as we go. The first goal is to get 10 total patrons, at which point I will start a patrons discord server. However you choose to support the show, thank you. I truly appreciate it. Now, let's get you back into the flow of the episode. Speaking of supporting the podcast, I wanted to say thank you to John at Frodo Lives, who left a five-star review on Apple Podcasts saying... This pod is really cool. The host deep dives each chapter from a bunch of different angles and clearly knows his stuff. I'm looking forward to more. Thank you, John. That is awesome. Also, John is a podcaster. Frodo Lives is a podcast, and you should go listen to it if you are into the Lord of the Rings series. Now, Lumos. Lumos. Our wands are lit, and it's time to illuminate Dobby, the house elf. This little dude is incredibly annoying in this chapter. His motivations are super unclear. The logic in his plan is completely non-existent. His voice just seems annoying reading it on the page, and then if you watch the second movie, it's confirmed. Annoying voice. His speech patterns are infuriating, to read and his frantic need to beat himself in the head every time he starts to say the exact shit that he came here to say would be the type of thing that you expect in a book written for children. That is, if it wasn't rooted in slavery and oppression, of course. You know, kid stuff. Now this is not gonna just be a dump session about Dobby, right? Maybe. Just kidding. It's not. I bring this up because it's really interesting where we're starting with this character. And the arc that he has throughout this series is epic with a capital E. Which I'm pretty sure is a phrase that nobody's ever said and actually been cool. But damn it, we're making it happen right now. 
this guy's like rock bottom as a starting point. Hell, you don't even know if he's good or bad at this point, and it doesn't get much better until the very end of this book. But here's a quick little highlight reel. This stuff is off the top of my head. I've not scoured the books yet. We're literally in book two of a reread here. But Dobby's ascension from this introduction that we get here in chapter two to becoming probably the cause of Kleenex staying in business for the second half of 2007 is pretty impressive. He shows back up in this book several times, uh, trying to stop Harry from getting on the train, attacking him with a bludger during Quidditch, and he helps move the plot forward in the hospital, for sure. But then by the end of the book, Harry frees Dobby by tricking Lucius Malfoy into giving him a sock, and then Dobby protects Harry from the potential retaliation. As I mentioned earlier, he certainly did not try to murder him right outside the door of Dumbledore's office. But Dobby still protected Harry. I don't think he's in Prisoner of Azkaban. I could be wrong about that. If he is, I literally have no recollection of it. So if I'm wrong, please tell me how dumb I am. He comes back in the fold and Goblet of Fire, however, helping Winky not drink herself to death and giving Harry the Gillyweed for the second task in the Triwizard Tournament. In Order of the Phoenix, he shows Harry the rumor requirement or as the house elves like to call it, the come and go room, so that Harry can use it to teach the Dumbledore's army defense against the dark arts classes in secret when Umbridge takes over the school. I don't remember him in Half-Blood Prince. Maybe he comes around during Christmas or something? I know he definitely comes around for Christmas in one of these books, but I'm thinking it's in book four specifically that he gives Harry the two socks, um... What do they have on them? One has snitches and the other has something else. Is it like little Gryffindor lions or something? Somebody tell me what I'm forgetting. Uh, But I'm pretty sure that's book four. I don't remember what he does in book six. But then, of course, in seven, Deathly Hallows, he's a literal hero, saving them when they're prisoners in Malfoy Manor and getting them to safety at Shell Cottage before heroically dying and sending everyone reading into a complete emotional meltdown. And in 2022, perhaps his crowning achievement, he became the namesake for one of the Patreon tiers on the Belated Binge podcast. That's in the canon. All of these things are clearly of equal value to the story, but beyond just being present and doing stuff to help the plot move forward, Dobby became a bit of a symbol, I think. A symbol of just unwavering loyalty to somebody that you care about, of almost naive innocence, and that even a tiny little background character can have a monumental impact on not just how a book turns out, but I truly believe that this little house elf had a substantial impact on a generation of book readers. Readers who may have otherwise not had a literary example of an unjust system unfairly treating a minority species, and perhaps not had one they connected with so personally through the story that his character's death is still likely one of the hardest pages to read in this entire series. Without Dobby, does this fandom hold the same values for inclusion, for acceptance, for equality and empathy? 
they collectively demand that the author of this series be held accountable for the hurtful stance she's taken? Is it possible that we could credit Dobby the house elf for the most diverse and accepting fandom we've possibly ever seen? At the very least, there are definitely a few less dicks in the world. And who, reading Chamber of Secrets for the first time, would have ever imagined that would be the impact of this annoying elf? Pour one out for Dobby the house elf. Let's do some... Divination. Previously known as the foreshadow segment, it's time to highlight four moments in the chapter that foreshadow something to come in the future. Number one, when Harry asks Dobby who's behind the plan to make bad things happen at Hogwarts this year, he asks if it's Voldemort, and Dobby says, no but in a way that leaves Harry kind of fishing. Even asked if he has a brother. It's almost as if Harry could sense a technicality in Dobby's answer. Um, And of course, this does foreshadow the chamber being opened and all the stuff that goes down in the book, but I'm not counting that one because that's literally the plot of the book. What I am counting, though, is that it also foreshadows Tom Riddle, who at the time of opening the chamber originally and concealing his memory in the diary, he was not yet he who must not be named. Number two, and this is pretty much a twofer, so uh, we'll split it somewhere here, two and three. When Dobby mentions Dumbledore and how he's the best Hogwarts headmaster, he says two key things. One, is that Dumbledore's powers rival that of he who must not be named at his peak. And that foreshadows the duel between the two wizards in the Department of Mysteries coming up in the Order of the Phoenix, where they are, magically, rivals. And then, here's where we shift to foreshadow three. He also says that there's power that Dumbledore would never use, implying that Voldemort would. This not only echoes the sentiment from the very first chapter of this series, where Dumbledore and Professor McGonagall have that very same discussion, but it's also a clear Horcrux foreshadow. It's some of the darkest magic in this series, and we get a hint at it right here. Four. The last one is, of course, the letter that Harry gets. He gets his official warning about using magic outside of school. This foreshadows Prisoner of Azkaban, where he doesn't get in trouble for blowing up his aunt, but in Order of the Phoenix, he gets put on trial for using his big Patronus energy. And a fun little bonus is that this chapter actually comes back during that trial, when Fudge is blustering about it, and Harry says that this was a house elf who did that hovering charm. And when Fudge tries to, Oh, yes, sure, uh, house elf, do you hear this? And Dumbledore says, Yeah, that house elf actually is employed by Hogwarts currently. We can call him here uh, to testify if you'd like. It's fresh in my head because of recent podcasts that other people are doing that I've heard. But, yeah, that's our fourth foreshadow, ending our divination segment. So, what's next? Now we have to give away some... House points. 
All right, so we're gonna do uh, house points here, which if you recall last season, this is in place of game ball and red card. Um, in true Hogwarts fashion, these house points are going to be given and taken completely subjectively with no oversight from anyone and fully at my discretion. This week, I am giving house points to Harry. He's getting 10 points for not losing his shit when Dobby appears in his bedroom or at any point during this just wild ass chapter. I'm also giving five points to Dobby for at least warning Harry that shit's about to go down. If his methods weren't so ridiculous and annoying, he would actually get more here. But uh, I'm taking house points away from Harry. I'm taking the 10 points for his inability to do anything rational during this chapter. Tell Dobby what he wants to hear and send him on his way, kid. Don't chase him around and give him the opportunity to get you in trouble. As far as anyone would know, some kid down the street is just running around in a costume terrorizing the suburbs if anybody saw Dobby at all. You wouldn't be, you know, getting an official warning letter. So Harry's breaking even in this particular chapter. Dobby is also losing points. 25, to be exact, for being... Very annoying, having a bonkers plan, and getting Harry in trouble with the Ministry of Magic. And giving up Harry's cover that he's not allowed to do magic outside of school. That was literally the one piece of leverage that he had with the Dursleys. Dobby, you suck. You don't continue to suck. But right now, you suck. R.I.P. Little Elf. Too soon? Alright. More house points. I'm taking... 25 points away from Vernon Dursley for locking Harry away like a prisoner with bars on his windows and a cat flap, and I'm taking away 15 points from Petunia Dursley for going along with it. I will, of course, add all of these points to my nerdy spreadsheet to keep track of it and tally them up for the end of this season's Bingy Awards. Before we go, I have to acknowledge moments in this episode that were just utterly Ridiculous. Previously known as the Fumble Award, it's not an episode of The Binge if we don't call out what didn't make any sense at all, starting with the whole underage magic trace and the rules and the letter stuff. Like, this whole thing, it, it doesn't make sense. And it never actually makes sense. I know they try to explain it later, how it works and how it only detects magic done near an underage wizard, but not who actually performed the magic, but it doesn't, it never really aligns. Presumably Dobby isn't walking from Malfoy Manor to Privet Drive, but the apparition doesn't register in whatever means he's using to intercept the owls. I'm assuming he's not just sitting on Harry's window every single night and just physically catching the owls and taking the letters away he's probably using some kind of magic and he's got to be somewhat nearby to catch the owls with it right like unless house elves have some sort of magic where they can reroute those owls in the air and instead of flying to privet drive they're flying to malfoy manor and just delivering the letters directly to a house elf i there's no way that that's the scenario right but of course this is the ridiculous segment. None of this makes any sense. But of course, this hover charm that he does in the kitchen is flagged and blamed on Harry. But then, in Order of the Phoenix, when 
Tonks does magic in Harry's bedroom, right next to him, right after he's been suspended and given a formal hearing for magic he did nowhere near the house. And in that chapter, the apparition of Dung doesn't register. He, he, when he apparates in book six with Dumbledore, nothing. Presumably, Dumbledore didn't tell the new minister that he was going to go pick up Harry. And all the magic that Arthur Weasley had to do in Goblet of Fire with the whole flu network and the fake fireplace and the ton-tongue toffee and all of that shit, like, none of that got flagged for under, like, I guess what I'm saying is the inconsistency and the logistics of this whole underage magic trace bullshit just doesn't compute in my muggle brain at all. Don't, don't get me wrong, I understand the concept but the how and when it applies or is actually enforced not so much with that we've reached uh, the end of this episode of the binge as always shout out to producer jack who i work like a dog remember to follow and subscribe to the show on whatever podcast player you're using currently and if it supports a rating and review option please leave one and if you're so inclined check out the additional benefits available on patreon.com slash belated binge link in the show notes for that if you're reading along next episode we'll be covering chapter three of harry potter and the chamber of secrets the burrow until then i'll see you next time on the belated binge podcast He opened his eyes. Moonlight was shining through the bars on the window, and someone was goggling through the bars at him. A freckled-faced, red-haired, long-nosed someone. Ron Weasley was outside Harry's window.